Big Swinging Stocks acknowledges the traditional custodians of Australia's lands, skies and waterways and pays respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome back to another episode of Big Swinging Stocks. We're back with our favourite series where we take you into real people's real portfolios, not so that you can copy them, but so that you can understand that wealth is built in many ways and that ordinary people just like you can make extraordinary decisions about their money. And also because we know that you, just like us, are voyeuristic little gremlins who love knowing what's going on behind the curtain. We're joined this week by the equivalent of a Division One athlete in the investing world, an investing pro, if you will. Noah Kaplan is Senior Investment Analyst at Morningstar and a Chartered Financial Accountant. Welcome to the podcast, Noah. Thank you very much for having me, Alex. It's keen to be here. <laughs> so, like we ask all our guests, tell us what your first investing memory was. How did this all begin for you? Well, first investing memory, probably around, I'd say my 13th birthday was the first time I'd ever heard the concept of an investment. I had been given some money from family and friends and not knowing what adults did with money at the time, I sort of just asked my mom what to do. And she said, oh, well, I'll hold on to it for you in a very trusting voice. And she said, maybe I'll invest it in some, some blue chip stocks or something good like that. That seems like a good educational lesson for you. Yeah. And so I thought, sounds great. means nothing to me. Sort of forgot about it until I was 18 and wanted to go buy a car and asked her what whatever happened to that money to get invested how did it how did I go and the poor woman she was so busy at that age as a single mom with three young kids that she just forgot about it and it went by the wayside and she forgot to invest it so it had been sitting in a bank account for five odd years earning close to nothing and it was a really good lesson because just out of pure chance of timing so my 13th birthday was around April 2009. So well, it is April 2009. And the market bottom post GFC was March 2009. So if you talk about possibly the best time ever to invest in stocks, that was about it in my lifetime. And it was just a good lesson because had it been invested at the time, that would have been five years of she could have picked really anything and it probably would have done pretty well. And instead, it was sitting in a bank account doing nothing. So a valuable lesson, not the best outcome, but a valuable lesson nonetheless. Oh, wow. That's a really young age to learn about opportunity cost in quite a brutal way, actually. Yeah, it was a brutal way, but it's all right. So you had this birthday money, you missed out on potentially the best time to invest, the GFC. And I think we're the same age. I just did some quick maths, which means I too was squandering my 13th birthday money instead of <laughs> investing it. But tell us, you studied engineering at uni. How did you go from engineering major to CFA at Morningstar? As luck would have it, it was sort of mostly chance than anything else. All the grad applications that you do to try and find jobs after uni. I was on exchange at the time. And so I, I basically missed them all. I, I was studying over in Sweden and it seems funny in hindsight, but most companies, when I got to for the ones that I could get through for the first rounds, I got to an interview stage and they said, sorry, if you can't be here in person, maybe just try again next year, which with Zoom and COVID is hilarious in hindsight. But anyway, that's the way it was at the time. And so I got back, was in my final semester of uni, just desperately looking at any job that seemed remotely appropriate. And fortunately for me, a lot of people in finance 
liked engineering and think it's a good fit for finance. Morningstar were very kind that they didn't seem to care too much, that they didn't know too much about investments. And as a company that prides itself on teaching people how to invest, you know, I guess they saw it maybe as a challenge <laughs> and they thought some of the financial background was there to be an analyst from the engineering studies that I'd done. So they took a chance on me and I'm still here. So I think it's sort of paying off. Oh, look at that little ROI on you. Yeah. But okay. So engineering background, clearly very logically minded. Now you're a senior analyst at Morningstar. Why do you invest? What's the why behind putting your money into any kind of investment? The main reason I'd say, my main goal, I guess, is I enjoy working. I find it very intellectually stimulating. I probably would do it forever anyway, just because I'd get bored otherwise. But I would like to know at some stage of my life that I don't need to be completely reliant on working every day to support my lifestyle. And so financial freedom really is a big one for me. Just having that peace of mind, I guess, in the background is the main reason. And as I've had it drilled into me working at Morningstar for this amount of time, inflation is tough. And I'm sure most of your listeners have realized over the last year how tough it is. And for a while, it wasn't too noticeable. We sort of had a long period of not that much inflation, but when it really bites, it, it can really hurt. And you can't really trust banks to give you enough return on your deposits to keep pace with that. And so if you don't really invest, you, you're just going to end up losing your ability to buy stuff. So the other reason for investing is just to yeah, grow my wealth and try and not lose too much to, <laughs> to inflation. We have very, very similar philosophies on investing. Mine is also love working. I'm a lawyer. I think I'd be very bored without it. But the freedom of knowing that you're not longer dependent on that paycheck to pay your bills is kind of mind-boggling. Like you're no longer in a position where redundancy will affect you in any material way, even though you might have an emergency fund. Bills get paid by investment income. I just do this for the fun. I am really curious though, because you work at Morningstar, you mentioned that that's informed how you think about investing, in what way? So Morningstar try and approach from a very goals-based, holistic investment approach. So the first thing to do is realize that investing is not just out there for you to just make as much money as you can. It's really a tool. And it, you were saying how amazing it is that we can be a part of the system where you can earn money basically for doing nothing. You can be an owner in some of the best companies in the world just from clicking a few buttons and not actually lifting a finger. That's a pretty amazing concept. And so, you know, Morningstar really tried to drill in that. It's, it's, it's a tool out there and it's a useful part of a functioning financial system that you can be a part of. So start with goals. What are you trying to achieve? figure out what your tolerance is with regards to financial risk. Some people are just inherently comfortable taking more risk than others. And so figuring out where that is and then using that to figure out what your portfolio and investment should be. I have a pretty high risk tolerance. I learned from doing some questionnaires we have at Morningstar. And so my financial goal is just is sort of financial freedom, which is something that is a fair way down the line anyway. So I've got a long time frame that I don't really need to use a lot of cash. I've got a high risk tolerance that pushes me more towards how I can set up my portfolio so I can have a lot more things like stocks in there or real estate or, or things like of that nature. And I don't need as much cash and bonds. Always keep some cash for uh, emergency uses, of course, on the side, but could be a bit more aggressive there. And so then that's the holistic start of it. 
But then Morningstar also teach you that when you dive a bit deeper down into what you want to invest in, you need to be conscious of if you want to go for a passive or active approach, if you want to go for a, a passive approach, be conscious of how much you're paying for that. If you want to go for an active approach, you need to decide what investment strategy makes sense to you, what kinds of stocks or bonds, if you're that way inclined, you can be comfortable owning and you will enjoy owning and what's worth owning, I guess. So are you going to get the return you want out of it? So there's a lot there, but it's that holistic approach that's really comes through from Morningstar. Hmm. So in your portfolio with the goal of financial independence, what are you investing in? I have quite a, a lot of different investments. So as we said, I started sort of figuring out my cash and equities. Most of it's in equities. And within that, sort of the core of my, my equities is just a passive total market fund. One thing that I'll teach you from Morningstar is that it's, it's very important to think globally when you invest. So for my own investments, I don't want to just hold Aussie equities because there's a lot of risk there. If the Aussie economy starts doing poorly for a reason that's different to the rest of the world, not only is my job potentially at risk from that, that bad economic scenario, but then I don't want all of my investments to be at risk because it's just an Australian company. So it's about diversifying your risks away as much as you can. So it's a global portfolio. So I'm holding, you know, European, US stuff as well as other things. But then from that point on as well, I like the idea of trying to perform a bit better than the market. And I like to think about stocks and read about them and try and figure out how I can earn some slightly better returns. So then I start to look at what kind of stocks I want to own. So our approach on the investment management side of Morningstar, so I should clarify there's an investment management side and then a research side of Morningstar as well, as well as some other data and software stuff. But on the investment management side, we look for things that are really out of favor large groups of the market. Are there particular countries that everyone doesn't like at the moment? China's a particular example right now. Or are there sectors that are out of favor? And is there a potential for an opportunity to earn an outsized return there? Or you can look at individual stocks. And so Morningstar has this framework called the Moat Framework, which I think is a really useful thing to think about with stocks. So the idea basically being that certain types of companies have just inherent competitive advantages. And you want to try and look for the companies that have the most durable, long-lasting competitive advantages. You know, the business is going to perform well. And so I own a lot of stocks that are, are wide moat rated, which means that they sort of expect those advantages to last 20 years or for the long future and try and find, again, the ones that are out of favor there. And the way to find the ones that are out of favor, I don't have enough time to monitor the I don't know, tens of thousands of stocks or whatever's out there. So I really rely a lot on the, the research that comes out of the, the equity research team to guide us where to go. But that being said, as I think many of your listeners would probably realize that it's very difficult to just purely rely on the advice of someone else. You also need to think about it if it makes sense for you, if you'd be comfortable, because at the end of the day, it's your money that's going to work there. It's not the analyst's money that's suggesting the stock. And so, you know, even if they think it might be well-rated, you might think that their reason for rating it well is different. You might think the company is not going to do as well as they do, or you might just not feel comfortable owning that stock for whatever reason. And maybe it's an ESG reason, maybe it's something else. So you've got to add that layer on top of it. And that's how I arrive at the stocks that I want to own. So a layer of critical thinking required before jumping in. You talked about equities and cash. Are you invested in individual companies as well as index funds, which I think is an interesting core satellite portfolio, perhaps. 
yes, probably should have clarified that a bit better in my last answer, but the core is sort of ETS, path of ETS. So it sort of ends up being a core satellite approach. So a large bulk of what I own in stocks is in passive ETS, but then the rest of it, I top up either individual companies that I like, that, as I mentioned, have a wide moat or the analysts think look good, or there'll be ETFs for countries or sectors that are out of favor that we think look attractive as well. So I guess you'd call it a thematic approach, but some thematic ETFs out there and things you need to be a bit careful because they might not have the, the most clear or logical rules with how they decide what goes in and, and how it should be weighted. But things like a a country index or a, a sector index. It's pretty clear what stocks are in there and whatnot and how, how big each one is. So that's how I do it there. Okay. And for individual companies with a moat, a wide moat, as you say, what's a good example for our audience? There's a few I could probably think of, but one I'll maybe go for is, is one stock that I've held since virtually the start of when I started investing. And I still have it today because it just makes me so comfortable to hold it and it's it's also done kind of well so that's that helps too it's a company called aspen technology it's a u.s company they make software and the software that they make is mainly for chemical engineering companies obviously extremely niche yeah very niche and i've read some peter lynch stuff and he says go with what you know that was sort of early on in my investing career so going through uni doing chemical engineering i had to use this software and i hated it i thought it was so so awful it was it was the source of many sleepless nights it was clunky it didn't run very well it would crash a lot but our lecturers kept telling us you need to use it it's the standard in the industry and then a few of my friends who left went into engineering some of them worked at energy companies and things like that they clarified yeah it's definitely used in industry a lot and i couldn't really understand why that was and i read the morningstar report on it and they talked about the reason it had a wide moat was because of the switching costs. So for these big energy companies, it's so important, especially when the economy is sort of out of their favor, it's so important that they run things very efficiently. And the software is really helpful to do that. And the cost of the software is a lot less than how much they save by using the software to help them run the process. And so it's one of these mode sources that they talk about, which is switching costs and effectively the idea that even if something's not ideal, a product's not ideal for the customer, it can be so cumbersome and so difficult to change to something else, or maybe there's just no other good options out there that it keeps them there. And it means that the company can earn a pretty good return. It can sell the software for a decently high price because they're adding so much value to the companies that they're serving. And so that was a company that was the first one I invested in. And every day that I hear one of my friends from uni curse how annoying it is to use in their jobs, I think it's doing a good job. <laughs> so you mentioned the Morningstar reports, which anyone can go and access from Morningstar. They're all paid, but publicly accessible. And they're really helpful, actually, at helping people start to think about the competitive drivers and advantages when you are assessing individual stocks. I think some of us are very just comfortable buying ETFs and it's a helpful way of starting to frame up exactly what you've said, like how do you assess moat, you know, which companies do have it and then you can kind of apply that critical thinking lens that you talked about and it's a really, really helpful tool to do it for people who are starting. Financial independence is the goal. You've obviously built up this portfolio. You've been working for a while. Can you tell us the value of the portfolio? How close are you to financial independence as a percentage maybe? 
I'd say I'm happy with the progress, considering how little I, I sort of started with when I started working at Morningstar. I just finished a year of exchange and travel and had very little to my name. I would say I'm a fair way off financial independence, but it's all a part of the process. And as I've been told a million times, the compounding nature of investing, it'll seem slow for a long time. And then all of a sudden overnight you'll blink and you're basically where you want to be or you'll just be surprised at how far you've come. So I already am surprised at how far I've come in a relatively short space of time, but not there yet. Still got not a there yet. Ago. So you'll still be working at Morningstar for a while then? Still be working at Morningstar for a while, that's for sure. If you were starting again today, fresh from school, scratch, nothing to your name, what would your advice to your 20-year-old self be? The most important thing is first up just to get educated. And it's convenient because at 20, I, I had no idea about investing. Not that I would say I'm remotely an expert or a professional, but I have come a long way since then. And I feel like I know a lot more than I did then. And it's helped me a lot. So I would say first thing is just educate yourself about what investing is, why people do it, what are the options, how can you do it? And there's a lot out there. And then from that point onwards, I just get started, even just a small amount at the start, just to get your get your head in the space. And a lot of investing is really behavioral. It's about can you sort of stick through the hard parts. So I think having some money in there to start that train of thought and start all those emotions that you, you're going to notice when you see the value go up and down, especially over the last year, that's helpful education too. So yeah, that's probably what I'd start with. Turn yourself into a moat perhaps, yeah, as part of definitely. your career. Invest in yourself first. I love it. Thanks for coming on the pod, Noah. It's always wonderful to hear different perspectives on building wealth. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. My mom has always said I had the voice for radio and my friends always said I had the face for it. So I'm glad, <laughs> I, could, glad I could finally get on board. What a delightfully backhanded compliment from the people that love you most. And exactly. to our listeners, thanks for joining us on another episode of Big Singing Stocks. We'll see you next week. This podcast is brought to you by SelfWealth and operates under AFSL number 421789 as general advice only. Because we can't take into account your personal objectives or financial situation, you should seek independent professional financial advice before making any investment decision. For more information and our financial disclosure statement, check the show notes.